But I think when people see your commitment to signing up for the ride and your commitment to fundraise and why it's important to you, if they have the ability and the capacity, they, they will say yes and support you in some way. This is the James Cancer Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and today is an exciting day and podcast because registration has begun for Pelotonia 2022. This will be the 14th ride of this amazing, fundraising, life-changing, and emotional event that has raised more than $236 million for cancer research right here at the James. Pelotonia has funded the Pelotonia Institute of Immuno-Oncology, four statewide programs that have screened, tested, and treated thousands of people and saved a lot of lives. There have been 616 Pelotonia fellowships awarded to the next generation of cancer researching stars, and Pelotonia has funded more than 200 high-risk, high-reward idea grants that have led to a lot of breakthroughs and advances. Not bad, right? And so who better to talk to about Pelotonia than my guests? Doug Ullman, Pelotonia's CEO, and Joe Apgar, Pelotonia's president. Doug and Joe are both cancer survivors. They're passionate about creating a cancer-free world, and they'll fill us in on this year's ride, the roots, the new features, and the new Pelotonia and Victoria's Secret Women's Cancer Research Prize that was recently announced. Welcome, Doug and Joe. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Good to see you, Steve. Yeah, it's great to see you guys in the middle of winter to have that optimism of Peloton is right around the corner. Hopefully the snow starts melting soon. <laughs> yeah. So uh, before we get in and talk about Pelotonia, Doug, I heard recently you got invited to the White House to talk to President Biden about cancer research. So fill us in. This sounds pretty exciting. Absolutely. It was quite humbling to have Pelotonia included in a major event and a major announcement at the White House where the president and first lady and the vice president uh, really doubled down on their commitment to what's called the cancer moonshot. And the cancer moonshot was created uh, about five or six years ago um, when uh, President Biden was vice president um, and obviously building on his family's personal uh, journey with this disease, they had committed the resources of the federal government to really reinvigorate the so-called war on cancer. And just recently, um, the event at the White House was to announce phase two of the cancer moonshot. And so again, it was uh, a real testament to the Pelotonia community and all that has been achieved both through uh, the grassroots fundraising, but also through the research at the James that we were included. And uh, it, was, it was a thrill to be there. And, and most importantly, to hear how this new phase might be different and might create a pretty significant impact. Now, I know it's probably pretty complicated, but can you give us a quick overview of phase two? Yeah. So one of the things that I love about this is that the White House has set an aspirational goal. And that goal is really quite simple, which is to reduce cancer mortality by 50% in the next 25 years. So it's a very specific outcomes-based goal. 
um, where everything sort of funnels up to that idea that if we could if we could reduce cancer death in our country by 50%, that would be hundreds of thousands of lives per year uh, over the course of many, many years and, and really would put us on the trajectory to ending this disease as, as we know it. Um, some of the other things that I think are different and new this time around are a real significant focus on screening and early detection. We know that's where the biggest impact can happen the most quickly. And we also know that the pandemic caused millions and millions of people to put off their screening. So we were already behind and we're further behind now. And so encouraging people, organizations, companies, community groups, schools to really spread the message that people need to get back on track with their cancer screenings is, is really important. So that's one aspect that I, I found exciting. Um, another is really access to care. So access to clinical trials, access to therapy. If we just delivered what we know works today to people who need it, we could save thousands and thousands and thousands of lives. Think about that. If we just delivered the care that you would get, Steve, or that Joe would get, or that I would get if we were diagnosed today to people who have not gotten that care in the past, we could save tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of lives every single year. And the other aspect that I just touched on briefly is having been involved in several of these announcements over the last 20 years, the one other aspect that I think is really different is that they are really unleashing the entirety of the federal government on this. This is not just a health and human services initiative. This is not just a National Cancer Institute initiative. They are creating a cancer cabinet, which will be made up of cabinet members from the federal government whether it's Homeland Security, whether it's another agency. And they're really saying every agency has a role to play in ultimately creating this cancer-free world. And so seeing those other cabinet members on the stage actively participating was something that I'm, I'm really optimistic about. Yeah. And the point you made about if, if the care that we have now is delivered to everyone, we'd save thousands of lives. I know that's a topic that Pelotani and the James are really um, working on this health and inequ health inequities problems where people in urban and poor and rural poor areas just don't have access to healthcare. And some of these Pelotonia statewide programs are addressing that. And that's, that's huge. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's so critical and it's, it's a huge priority for Pelotonia. It's a huge pri priority for the James in Ohio state. And, you know, look, the pandemic showed us a lot of things. One, from an optimistic standpoint, it showed us what's possible in science in a very short period of time, right? And so we need to leverage what we learned from that to create qu more quickly breakthroughs for, for patients. But it also showed us that the economic inequality has just continued to grow, right? And so we have to close that gap and we have to, as, as humans, we have to be able to deliver what we know works to people when they need it. Um, so I'm, I'm optimistic as, I, as I was sitting in the white house, I will tell you, I was thinking about all of the programs that this community has made possible. And I was thinking about all the programs at the James, whether it's the new diagnostic center, which people can call very easily and get access to screening today, tomorrow, next week. Um, whether it's turning the page on breast cancer, that's hoping to shrink the mortality gap for African-American women with, with breast cancer across the state. I mean, there's so many examples um, of things we're already doing. And hopefully this new moonshot phase will shine the light and shine resources on things that are working. 
And also, I think some of the things you just mentioned, some of the things Pelotonia funded statewide programs can be models for the whole nation. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I think the White House is eager to see what is working out there and how can we replicate that and how can we sort of supercharge it with more uh, financial or, or other resources to, to reach more people. All right. That was an excellent report for our, from our Washington correspondent. <laughs> I'm happy now... to go back. Any, I'm happy to go back anytime. <laughs> uh, so Joe, we're recording this a couple weeks before the March 1st start of registration. So thank you for taking time in the midst of what I'm guessing is probably a little busy, hectic period. So how do you and the team sort of prepare these last couple of weeks and get ready so you can, so, I mean, first of all, so that the, the website works properly and that people know about and are excited and you get off to a fast start. Yeah. So, well, obviously the website, uh, you know, working, working correctly is critical, but um, our planning really starts at the end of last year and it, it, and it almost really starts right after the ride, you know, from the previous year. And uh, this year in particular, I feel like our team did an amazing job at getting out in front of some of the normal things we always have to do, but also in starting to think about how we wanted to change and evolve the 2022 event. So, uh, you know, we had our, our campaign, uh, you know, the new campaign done before the end of the year, uh, before the end of 2021. And so we went into this year, had that all ironed out. I think for us, the last couple of weeks, we've really spent um, trying to plan out launch week and what that is going to look like and what's the best way to drive excitement to that March 1st date um, and to be able to really celebrate that. So, um, you know, if you think it's really been two years since we've had a, a typical launch, right? Back in, in February, 2020, we had a, a really amazing launch of registration and, and uh, did a lot of fun things that week. In 2021, we didn't get to do that. Uh, and so this year, we're really focused on having a really fun, engaging launch week. We're going to do a, a launch incentive. So a fundraising incentive for people that sign up. We're going to do some uh, online, hopefully virtual um, rides, uh, potentially on Zwift, potentially just using Zoom like we did the last couple of years. Um, registration will open on noon on March 1st. And then at the end of the week uh, on March 4th, we're going to have um, a celebration at PINS at Easton, um, which is a fantastic venue, I think, for, for the community. We've done events at the Pins downtown before, uh, but the Pins at Easton, you know, it's open air and they've got garage doors everywhere. They're, they're able to make it uh, what we think is a really safe environment uh, to do something. And I think the community will be really excited to do that. And then, you know, the other thing we spend a ton of our time is, is planning on how we can help and support the community. Uh, and how we can support the different Pelotons, how we can support new first-year riders, how we can support the volunteers and lead volunteers and, and survivors, and, and really trying to think about how we program uh, our entire year to fit the needs of what our community wants. Um, we're here to serve the community at the end of the day. Oh, you mentioned that of how to serve and, and recruit first-time riders, which is always important to get these new riders involved because once you get someone for the first time, the odds are pretty good they're going to come back. So without giving away any secrets, what, what are you going to do to reach out and get some new people riding? Yeah, I think, you know, step one for us is just getting back into the community. Most of the stuff we did last year yeah. was virtual, uh, and we feel like, you know, the opportunity to get back physically at events and doing outdoor rides and things like that's going to be big this year. 
um, you know, working with sort of just different groups and different leaders uh, that we've had the chance to connect with over the last couple of years. And there's a lot of interest, um, as you know, there's a lot of interest in cycling over the last two years. It's, it's really increased. And there's, there's been a lot of people who've taken up cycling either for the first time in a long time, or they've sort of taken their um, cycling up a notch. Uh, yeah, you, you can't buy a new bicycle these days. You know, right? you've I got mean, to order for six months. <laughs> early, early in the pandemic, it was, I mean, it was insane. You couldn't get a bicycle for, for close to a year at some places. So, you know, really thinking about how we uh, reach out to communities that, you know, we typically haven't had the chance to engage with or, or new communities that have emerged. You know, we're lucky that Columbus is thriving in a lot of ways and there continues to be new companies that just keep coming to town um, or small companies that have grown to be big companies in the last two or three years. And, um, you know, there's, you know, for us, it's, we've, we've got an incredibly strong corporate base. And I think what we've learned over the last couple of years is that those people move around too. And so you have somebody that might've been a Victoria's Secret for 10 years and they changed jobs and went to another company and they're all of a sudden, you know, they're our biggest fan inside that new company. And so um, at the end of the day, for us, it comes all back to, are we connecting individually with the people in our community? And that is something we've prided ourselves on for, for 14 years now is, you know, authentically communicating and reaching out and developing relationships with the people that support our community. And um, you're going to see a lot of that this year. Yeah, I hear there's a, a fairly big new chip company coming to New Albany that might um, be a source of new riders in a couple of years. <laughs> I, I certainly hope so. I think, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of our, our riders and, and people that live out that way and ride out that way are concerned about the, you know, the roads and, and how the roads will, will keep up uh, with that construction. But uh, it's just super exciting to see a company like Intel coming to town, um, you know, with that many employees and uh trust us that we'll when, when the time is right we're gonna we're gonna be in front of them and uh i'm really hopeful that we can get a really strong base out of the intel and and all of the companies that come with them yeah that's true i hadn't thought of it this way but when i used to work at the dispatch as a business reporter i was that was one of the beats i covered as development and new companies moving in and you probably cover that as well anytime a new company comes in you get you you put them on the list and oh, yeah. go out and meet them so yeah <laughs> And the good the good news, Steve, is that the CEO of Intel happens to love riding his bike. Uh, so we have we have learned that through the grapevine. So now it's just a matter of making sure he becomes a first time rider uh, this August. So you guys got to connect Doug with them then, right? Is that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working there on it. There you work. go. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe you could have your friend in the White House give him a call to connect <laughs> you and. <laughs> Exactly. I get right on that. <laughs> okay. Um, so this is what I am always looking forward to every year is to find out the roots. So last year, because of the pandemic, it was a little different. I think there was 10 or 11 roots and it was a little different. And it was actually, I kind of like that doing a different route. So fill us in. What are the roots this year? And so I can, I can plan. So, uh, Let's start off the root conversation. I, I, I will give a, a formal public apology uh, on your podcast to the community about the uh, the 2021 50 mile Pelotonia route, uh, which was which was a little 
it was probably a misnomer, I guess, uh, ended up being 57 miles. Um, <laughs> and those last seven miles were not easy. And so, uh, one of the things we're doing is we're, we're going to move back to, um, one of the things we did in the really early years of Pelotonia, which is calling the routes what they are. And so we're going to, on Saturday, we're going to have a 20, a 57, an 85, and a 102. Um, and we're working on giving them, you know, some fun names and, and things that people can recognize. But uh, there's there's no longer going to be a, a seven-mile miss on our part from a communication standpoint. I take full responsibility for that. I also got to ride that route and and I remember when my odometer hit 50 and I was like, oh no, like I know exactly where we are and we are not close to the finish line. I, I um, think, I think I heard that same story from Dan Rosenthal who told me that he got to like the last rest stop and he thought he had like five or seven miles. And I think he saw your brother, Doug, who told him, oh no, you have 13 or 14 miles to go. And Dan sort of went, had the same reaction you did, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a common occurrence. You know, in the last like 500 yards into the, into the shoot uh, at Bethelheimer, I was like, I'm going to hear about this the rest of the day. Um, and I so think maybe to counteract that the 102 mile ride should actually be 97 and everyone, no, no, people would be mad. No, we determined people century. would be mad. You got, yeah, if, you get, got, if yeah. you're going to do a century, you yeah. got to do a century. Yeah, but people, yeah. So I ended up in New Albany and just started hearing about it. And, you know, most, most everyone was, was fine and everyone was great sports about it, but uh, that was a miss on our part because, you know, 50 and 57, there's, there's a difference there, especially, you know, if people haven't trained uh, as much. And so um, then I went to Kenyon, I drove up to Kenyon to, to watch the finish up there. And I'm just watching everybody coming in exhausted. You know, it, it was hot out and, and so I see my two best friends that I ride with all the time who are both really good riders. And I was like, how was it? And he was like, oh man, it was awesome. And I, a, a light literally went off my head and I was like, oh no, that's not good. That he thought that was awesome. That means it was a really tough, yeah. tough route. <laughs> and learning that the you know final 20 miles is pretty brutal. And so there's going to be another split this year like we've had in previous years. There will be an actual less hilly route um, so that route we had uh, last year up to Kenyon will become the hilly, hilly route. And so people that did it in 2021 will always have the badge of honor of, of doing that hilly route. Um, and then we're going to do overnights in Kenyon again. Oh, so okay, um, Sunday's going to look uh, similar to, to the 2019 ride from, from Kenyon. So it'll be an 80 and a hundred uh, back from, from Kenyon to new Albany. And then we're going to also do the same 38 mile loop route. Uh, that we did starting and finishing in New Albany. That was really popular this year and or last year. And so we're going to replicate that that this year. So we've got tons of route options. We feel like um, you know, really excited about just some of the tweaks we're making and and I think the community will be excited too. So on Saturday, the 85 mile mile, well let's start at the beginning. The 20 mile route is going to be from downtown to New Albany. Yep. Yeah, and same the, as 2021. And the 57 downtown to New Albany. Yep. The 85. New Albany to Kenyon. Okay, that's what I thought. New Albany to Kenyon. And the 102 is from downtown to Kenyon. Yep. And will Reynolds Road be on these routes? Reynolds Road. 
I'll have to look. I actually don't think Reynolds Road is on uh, is on the routes. I, yeah, because when you said yeah. that you're going to – the hilly, hilly route last year did not include Reynolds Road. So, hmm. Yeah. There'll, be, there'll be enough hills I, to keep people happy. Yeah, I was going to say, trust me, there's enough. You know, when you get it, when you get out in that that part of the state, you know, when you turn on the roads, you know, everything's like, you know, uh, they're pretty simply named. But then there's the roads that have hill on the sign. And there's tons of those. And we'll be going on several of those. So um, just because we're, we're losing Reynolds Road does not mean we're losing uh, some challenging hills. Okay. So have you guys decided what routes you're going to ride? So this is tough. So like ride week and ride weekends, just exhausting. Uh, And by the time Saturday morning rolls around, it's, I'm pretty tired. Doug's given me a really hard time the last couple of years for not riding the hundred. And so I I think this year I'm going to ride, ride the hundred on Saturday. And then I'm going to make a game time decision about Sunday. Doug, you just made a face as if, you didn't give Joe a hard time. <laughs> well, I, 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 I do give him a hard time. Oh, That's okay. accurate. Um, <laughs> however, it, it's because he has publicly said for many years that Pelotonia is the most significant weekend of the year for him. And so I don't know why he enjoys doing it halfway. You know, but um, so so that's why I, I just it's just a question that's out there. Um, and I, what I would say is more importantly than the route uh, is 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 signing up as a high roller, right? So uh, we will be raising enough money to cover uh, right. the full the full distance. Uh, whether we do it or not, I don't know. But I can attest to what Joe said is that that hundred miles last year was hard, like real hard. Um, and I enjoyed it, and I thought it was very challenging. You know what I what I remember? I did I did that, and toward the end, and this I think this happens almost every year. There is um, someone's at a rest stop who makes their own rest stop and the guy trying to be really nice. He goes, Oh, you only have two miles to go. And you go, okay, only two miles to go. But the problem is there's five miles to go and three more. Of course. Years. So of course. And, and those, and those people, those people mean so well yeah. and they've set up water and towels and all this stuff, but they don't realize the psychological toll that that inaccuracy right. causes when you're finishing those two miles and you still have a few left. Yeah. One of the things, I mean, speaking of sort of those unsanctioned rest stops, for the longer routes, so for the 57, the 85, the 102, we are actively uh, looking at how we add sort of what we're deeming internally sort of light rest stops um, that are in between the final formal rest stop and the finish line. And we've just recognized that, you know, doing 16 to 20 miles through the whole route from a rest stop standpoint works for the first part of the route. But when you get you know, towards that end of a hundred, um, having something that's eight to 10 miles out, uh, where you can refuel and take a break, uh, would be significant for people. So we're looking at ways to do that this year too. Now, Doug, you mentioned high rollers and, um, fundraising of course is the lifeblood of Pelotonia. And before I ask you guys some tips on fundraising and how you do it, I just want to, from my own personal experience, I was very, very nervous that first year about raising, gosh, I can't even remember. I think it was 2000 or 2200. I'd never in my life raised money before I donated, you know, 25 and 50 here and there to when people asked, but I never actually raised money and it's intimidating, but it turned out to be 
so much easier than I thought and that people want to contribute and want to be part of it, particularly now that they know Pelotonia. And I've formed my own little team of family and friends who every year help me out and it kind of grows. But since fundraising is so important, and I know you both are experts at it and have, ri- have raised a lot, what, what are some tips for, for people out there who might be a little nervous about having to commit to more money than they've ever tried to raise before? Or like in my case, having to raise money for the first time? Yeah, I think your, your experience is pretty normal, right? There's typically a, a, a psychological hurdle if you've never done it before. Um, which is natural because human beings have an aversion to asking for help. And in some ways, this is an ask of your friends, your colleagues, your neighbors, your, your community. Um, but once you actually do it, you realize, one, how generous people are. And two, you oftentimes realize that there are so many people in your network or in your community that are touched by this disease that you may not have known about. And that happens almost every year for me, where I'll get a donation from someone that is maybe more than I expected. And it comes with a note saying, my relative was just diagnosed, and this means so much to me at this very moment. And so on the one hand, I feel like fundraising, this grassroots peer-to-peer fundraising, you're, you're giving people an opportunity to express their um, support financially. But, but even more than that, you're giving them a chance to participate in something that is so meaningful uh, to so many. So my advice is always just to make it as personal as possible. Because when you share why you're doing something, I believe that people will say yes almost every time if they have the capacity to do so. And the only time I've ever had people say no is when they are doing something for the community that at that moment in their mind is more of a priority for them. And by the way, that's a good thing, right? So if somebody says, oh, I can't, I can't support you right now because I'm you know, giving to this educational organization or I'm helping people who need a place to live or need food, like, great, thank you for what you're doing. Um, but I think when people see your commitment to signing up for the ride and your commitment to fundraise and why it's important to you, if they have the ability and the capacity, they, they will say yes and support you in some way. Joe, what's, what are your secrets or what's your strategy? Yeah, I think just, I mean, I think everything Doug said is spot on. I think, you know, sharing your story and sort of why you're participating is, you know, I always think of that as step one. And a lot of times that's the only step you need. Um, I think what's important for people to recognize is, and Doug and I see this a lot and and sort of have dealt with this a lot, which is um, a lot of people don't think their story is good. Or their, you know, their connection to a, a cancer story is is good enough, right? It's, well, I'm not a survivor. I just, I had a family member diagnosed, and I, you know, we hear this all the time. And and Pelotonia is this opportunity for people to take action and be in control of something. And cancer, which is largely an uncontrollable, you know, experience for a lot of people. And so, um, but you know, you don't have to be a survivor to have a great reason and great story to participate. And um, I've never met anyone that didn't have some sort of connection or story to cancer. And I have yet to meet a single person. Um, Yet a lot of people don't share those reasons sort of outwardly because they don't think they're, 
you know, as, as strong of stories as someone who survived cancer. And like, I even deal with it with, you know, in my own family, my sister had cancer. My sister had a really different cancer experience than I did. Um, she did chemo for two years. She was five years old, lost her kidney. Um, she was in, you know, Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh for months. And my parents lived in a hotel for months. Now I had a couple surgeries and some complications, but was a completely different experience. And even she and I have had conversations of like, well, I didn't have it as bad as you. There's always this comparison of stories to people. When people figure out how powerful their own authentic individual story is to their own network and community of people, it's really powerful. And we see it all the time. And we see people who put a, you know, really strong profile story up on the website or, you know, share an email that's really personal in their reason for, for doing it. You know, those people are wildly successful with fundraising. So I always just encourage people to, to understand what your story is and share it, share it from your heart. And that'll resonate with people. Yeah. And you're right that everyone has been impacted by Peloton. And as you were saying that, I was thinking that in the past two months, twice, a neighbor and one of my wife's good friends, both were diagnosed with breast cancer at a different medical center. And both times we said, hey, we know someone at the James, Doreen Agnese. This mm-hmm. is her specialty. And we connected them with uh Doreen and they went to see her and get this great care. And this, you know, and that's a story I'm going to tell people when I ask for, for funds that everyone is connected and there's no like one story is better than the other. They're all to each person, the most important story in their lives at that moment. So. Yeah. And and the, the only thing I'd add to that, Steve, is there's the personal aspect of why, people are motivated to either participate and or contribute financially. And the other thing that we're doing more and more of is really just connecting these researchers to the community because the inspiration that writers and volunteers and supporters get from hearing firsthand why this financial support is so critical And when you can hear a young scientist say, gosh, this is the first grant I ever got and allowed me to pursue my passion and my hypothesis and launch my career, or you hear a senior scientist like Zihai Lee talk about the future of immuno-oncology, those are really powerful things to say, gosh, we're playing a small part in creating a future where everybody gets access to these state-of-the-art therapies. Yeah, not only do we as riders get to play a small part in that we get to meet these people during Correct. the year and at Pelotonia and talk to them. And, and that's amazing. Yeah. And they're heroes and they're doing the work every day. And I think historically they were behind closed doors, you know, and I think in a way Pelotonia has humanized them and, and, and brought them out in the community so people can learn, engage, be inspired. And frankly, you know, what a lot of those physician scientists have done over the last two years during the pandemic has been nothing short of miraculous. And uh, I think the whole community is, is grateful for what they do from a cancer standpoint, but also what they do from a broader healthcare standpoint. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Doug and Joe will fill us in on the new Pelotonia and Victoria's Secret Prize. In today's world, 
misinformation abounds. But at the Ohio State Health and Discovery website, we're addressing today's most relevant health, wellness, science, and research topics, all from the Ohio State experts you can trust. We're tapping into physicians, scientists, and thought leaders across our medical center and health sciences colleges to give you the deeper story behind the headlines and the truth about the topics affecting the health of individuals, society, and the world. Visit health.osu.edu today. We're back with Doug Ullman and Joe Apgar. And before we get to the Pelotonia Victoria's Secret Prize, Joe, I'm curious, opening ceremonies, I did not go last year. I regret not going because it was at the beautiful new lower.com stadium. Where will it be this year? Yeah, so uh, we were obviously thrilled to be able to, to have opening ceremony last year and extremely grateful for the Columbus crew and ownership for letting us have the stadium uh, for the evening. But we're going to move back down to North Bank Park, uh, McPherson Commons, sort of what people have known for the last six or seven years uh, prior to that. And uh, But we're going to switch switch some things up. We're going to move the location of, of the stage and some of the other sort of key elements of, of that uh, area and get back to the festival-like feel that we've had and sort of people have come to love, but uh, give people a brand new experience and, and vantage point down there that I think will be pretty special. Now, I'm guessing you're going to have some pretty prominent speakers, but I'm also guessing you're probably not going to divulge them right now. We are not going to divulge them right now. Um, Can you just you know, like just whisper it to me? I won't tell. No, okay. I, I, can't, I right. can't. I can't give away any of our secrets at the moment. But uh, you're saving. You're saving that for your own podcast, aren't you? We're, we'll save that for our own <laughs> podcast. And, there you go. Uh, so we'll we'll visit on that at a later date. Okay. Good. Good. Uh, well, that, that keeps us guessing and, ma- and makes it so we have to attend the opening ceremony. So well, now you have to have us go. back on the podcast to do a you know oh, okay. a, pre- a preview of opening ceremony. Okay. So let's jump into the Pelotonia Victoria's Secret Prize, which it sounds really cutting edge and really exciting. It reminds me of like prizes like. The ones that, that I forget the name of it, but for $10 million for the first person that had a successful rocket and back in aviation history, they used to give prizes for the first person to like fly across the uh, English channel. So fill us in on the Peloton Victoria's Secret Prize, how it kind of came about and how it'll work. Sure. Well, as you know, we've had a longstanding partnership with Victoria's Secret and they have participated actively in the ride for you know, the last 12 or 13 years, they've raised millions and millions of dollars for Pelotonia and ultimately research uh, at the James. And so during conversations last year, as they were explaining to us how they were reimagining their brand and some of the things they were interested in doing, it became clear that they are most passionate about supporting women and supporting women in all aspects of their life. And so we started a dialogue and ultimately presented them with some some ideas that they could uh, think about embracing. And one of those ideas was to really focus on funding female scientists around the world who are focused on women's cancers. And the reason for that is, is multifaceted, but, but one uh, aspect that's so important is that women tend to be underfunded um, in biomedical research. They tend to leave the field 
for any number of reasons, right? So maybe they leave to have children and don't come back. Maybe they can't access enough funding. And so they go in a different direction with their career. Um, all of these things have, have added up to a huge gap in terms of the amount of research funding going to women. Um, and then you couple that with cancers that predominantly impact women. And so how do we marry those two things um, together? So um, they love the idea. They immediately uh, wanted us to come back with more concrete plans, which we did. And the result of that is something called the Victoria's Secret uh, Global Fund for Women's Cancers. And within that fund, there are going to be several different um, opportunities for female scientists around the world to access funding. Um, so as you mentioned, there will be a prize element. There will be an element that funds um, some of the top most senior women in the world who then will mentor younger women uh, in their field. Um, and so we're excited about this collaboration and um, ultimately uh, also excited that it will be co-chaired um, by Electra Pasquette, um, who's one of the associate directors of uh, the cancer program at Ohio State. Um, she also happens to be a cancer survivor. And so she brings to it both a personal and professional passion. Um, and so we're thrilled to have her sort of co-chairing the scientific advisory committee to figure out, you know, what is the highest and best use uh, of these dollars as they get distributed. Wow. Electra is a superstar. She is. Cancer. Yes. She, she's done studies all over and she's leading the new uh, breast cancer study too with Heather Hample. So absolutely. And, and, and just as a, as an aside to this whole global fund from Victoria's Secret, one of the most exciting things for us is that Victoria's Secret is really going all in um, on this notion of women's health. So um, you mentioned Doreen Agnes um, uh, earlier in our podcast today. Um, Doreen did an Instagram live on Victoria's Secret's Instagram page uh, in October, all about breast cancer, about screening, about early detection. And the reason I mentioned that is, you know, Victoria's Secret has a massive, massive global reach. You know, I think there's 75 million you know, followers on Instagram. And so to be able to put an expert like Doreen in front of that many people around the world to help educate them uh, was awesome. The other thing I've mentioned is that last October, for the first time in the company's history, Victoria's Secret came out with a new product. It was a mastectomy bra, which is a product that women all over the world have been asking for, for from companies uh, over, over the course of time. And that product, not surprisingly, sold out very quickly. Um, and it just shows you the need and it shows you the, the desire of people uh, out there to have products designed and manufactured and developed uh, for cancer patients, for cancer survivors. So the partnership, while it includes massive funding for female scientists, it also is including education, outreach, and, uh, and product development. So how much is Victoria's Secret pledging to this um, project? Yeah, so they're, they're pledging a minimum of $8.5 million over the next two years, um, which is amazing because that is separate and apart from their participation in the ride, separate from what their employees and, and partners and colleagues are raising. It's separate from their incredibly generous uh, match that they provide for their employees and their families. Um, and so I, I really, we're all just blown away by their continued and expanding support of, uh, of our mission. Wow. So this leads me into my next question. You guys recently announced that 
you have this pretty amazing goal that by the year 2026, you want to raise $50 million, which would effectively double kind of your previous best year. So this sounds like one of the ways, one of the collaborations that you'll use to get there. So I'm wondering if there's other ideas, other companies you're working with, other routes to get to this $50 million a year. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And uh, we're super excited about, you know, the $50 million goal. That's the first time our organization's ever put a, a big goal out there. And, and we received just tons of positive feedback about it. Um, like people love being involved in something that is, is, is reaching for something big. Um, you know, the Victoria's Secret thing is super, super special. And I think, you know, what we've realized is we can help, we can be a platform you know, to help companies do even bigger and sort of broader things in their own communities. Um, Victoria's Secret being a really good example. We're seeing, you know, things like MI Homes, who, you know, local uh, home builder headquartered here, but they have offices all over the country, I think in close to 15 or 16 different markets uh, all around the country. And last year in Houston, uh, they sold a house. They built a house, had all of their subcontractors sort of contribute in different ways and they sold a house for charity and, and Pelotoni was that charity and it raised more than $150,000 um, that they donated to Pelotonia. And, and they've realized the scale of their business and what they could do for Pelotonia, for cancer research and, and really for their community. And so they've got a goal to get, you know, that home sale program out uh, into more markets this year. And, uh, we think that they'll raise potentially a couple million dollars in 2022 through through that program. So I think, you know, for us, it's, you know, our commitment is to, to building this movement and our community to be as broad and far reaching and as impactful as we can possibly make it and to be a platform for others to do the same. And I think companies realize that there's a lot of value in a lot of different ways to do that. So I take it you might be working on a couple other similar type collaborations that you might not be quite ready to announce unless you want to. No, your intuition's good. Uh, your intuition's <laughs> good on all fronts there. <laughs> You're frustrating the journalist in me, but I'll, I'll let you go. Okay. I'll, I'll, I won't push so Steve, you. <laughs> Steve, I think, I think the most important thing is, and one of the unique aspects of Pelotonia is that we have been so fortunate to have some of these large partners who not only have supported the organization financially, have not only inspired their team members to participate and provided support for that, but now they're realizing that they might have a national or international footprint and that they could help reach more people with messages of education and screening, the importance of research, and ultimately help raise more money. And so we're very excited to have those conversations with, with our existing partners and new partners about what, what, what might be, uh, might be possible. Yeah, you're right. With technology, it's a much smaller world than it used to be. And it's easier for companies to have a national and international footprint. And there's some great companies here in Columbus that, you know, that could work for. So absolutely. Well, let's finish up. I, I always like to ask you guys a bit of a, uh, personal, maybe even philosophical question. And as I started off the podcast saying you're both 
cancer survivors um, at a relatively the same age while in college at a really formative age. So I'm curious that, of course, a cancer diagnosis is never a good thing, but it seems like perhaps some good things and some direction in life came out of your cancer diagnosis and treatment for, for both of you. Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, that's spot on. I was 21 uh, when I was diagnosed, which I think was a little couple of years past when, when Doug was diagnosed, although he was diagnosed much, much earlier uh, than me way back in the nineties, I think. Um, so you're calling Doug old, but okay. Got it. Okay. <laughs> but uh, no, I think it, it's a, it's a really interesting experience. Um, it provides perspective. If you talk to, you know, any cancer survivor, I think you talk to perspective is one of the words that, that often enters the conversation. Um, you know, I, I'm always pretty thoughtful about how I spend my time. I always have been, even as a kid, um, I really sort of engaged in things I wanted to do. And I, I tried to shy away from things that I didn't, I didn't want to be spending my time on. I was always just super thoughtful about my time. And um, I think that is something that got really exacerbated after I did have cancer. My, my dad said something to me years ago um, that I thought was really interesting, which he is not known to be sort of the most emotional or, you know, uh, philosophical person. Um, but he, he sort of just remarked, he said, you know, he, he thought the biggest change he saw in me was that I jumped at every opportunity that I could now to make a better, more fun, exciting life for myself and the people around me. And that my desire for things went away and my desire for experiences and relationships filled all that space. And I think, you know, I, th I think that that's spot on. And I think the thing cancer sort of teaches you in a way is, is, you know, the relationships that you have and the people that come out to support you and, and do things for you. And, you know, you can almost never repay them uh, for that, but uh, it, it gives you a good perspective on life. And I think for me, ultimately led to changing careers, uh, which, you know, to a lot of people seemed like a really sort of wild and, and bold move, but personally it felt really like the only thing I should be doing. Um, and I feel really lucky to wake up every day and do this work and, um, get to meet the people I meet. And I think I've got the best job in the world. So, you know, wouldn't second guess it for, for a moment. Okay. Thank you. Hard to follow that. I agree. Uh, I agree with everything Joe said and, um, you know, perspective is important. And one thing that cancer or cancer diagnosis brings is immediate perspective. Um, and, you know, it's not lost on me and maybe we shouldn't say this, but we're, we're recording this on Valentine's day. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think relationships become much more important. Uh, the relationship that I have with my parents and my brother were always very close. Cancer only made them even more significant. Uh, and I think you just cherish opportunities. Like Joe said, you jump at opportunities in a way that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise because um, you don't take things for granted. And you definitely don't take relationships for granted. You definitely don't take friendships. 
Um, and uh, having learned that at an early age, I think was was actually very, very helpful. Okay. Well, well, thank you both for sharing. And it's this, as I mentioned, Pelotonia registration has begun. I'm going to, I'm going to sign up today and hopefully we can set a, a new record for the first day or first week, number of sign of registrations. And before we go, Joe, you want to give a quick promo for the Pelotonia podcast that you host? Yeah, so this will be season four of the One Goal podcast uh, that we've recorded and produced over the last couple of years and um, excited to continue sharing just some of the amazing stories of the Peloton community and beyond. And um, we really use it as a platform to to uncover and dive deep into some really personal things from people. And uh, it's been uh, sort of an honor of my lifetime to be the host of that. And and I think this year uh, we kicked off season four with a a podcast about the major Taylor cycling club locally in Columbus and was an incredibly fun episode to record a great group of guys and um, you know, stay tuned for, for more great episodes this year. All right. I, I listened to that episode. It was great. Thank you both. And I'll see you soon. Awesome. Thanks Steve. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio state university comprehensive cancer center Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.